Turn, if you would, in the Word of God to the letter of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to pick up reading at verse 22 and read to chapter 2, verse 3. You'll find this on page 1,294, 1,294 in the Pew Bibles. And the sermon this morning will expound verses 1 to 3 of the second chapter. One Peter one beginning at verse twenty two. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, <coughs> since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away, or putting away, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing to it. The 2012 presidential campaign in the United States was quite rancorous. There were assaults or insults levied and charges made and slander ensued. And in his victory speech, Barack Obama invited his campaign rival, Mitt Romney, to the White House for a lunch so that they could patch up their relationship insofar that that was possible. And on the day of the lunch, there was a photograph that appeared on the internet of Mitt Romney at a local McDonald's. The National Post picked that up and headlined the picture this way, Don't spoil your appetite. Mitt Romney found at McDonald's ahead of White House lunch. It's easy to spoil one's appetite, isn't it, by going to McDonald's when you are just about to eat lunch at the White House, where I'm sure you would get quite a delightful meal. Our children want to do it all the time. They want to have snacks just before supper, and we say to them, no, uh, it's not a good thing. Uh, Don't spoil your appetite. Crave for the good things, your mother's cooking, which is vastly superior to any sweets and has far more nutritional value. It will help you to grow. Well, that's Peter's concern for these Christians here in his letter that he is writing to them. He wants them, as he says, to grow up in their salvation. He wants them to mature, to be more faithful to God, more Christ-like. And in order for them to do that, he says, you need to crave the pure spiritual milk. You have to be careful about your appetite. Preserve your appetite so it craves pure spiritual milk. Well, this morning we want to look at these verses together and see, first of all, what it means to crave 
pure spiritual milk. What is that milk that we are to crave? And secondly, how we are to crave it. So first of all, the pure spiritual milk. Well, what is that? Some of you who might have been brought up on the King James Version would think that the pure spiritual milk that we are to crave is the Word of God, because the King James translates it that way, long for the pure milk of the Word. But I don't think that's what Peter is actually saying. He has been speaking about Christians as having become newborn infants. That's what it it says in verse 2, like newborn infants. And the way that they've become newborn infants is through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God has given them new birth, he says in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. He has given them new birth. They've been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he talks in chapter 1, verse 23, how they have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of, uh, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So he addresses these Christians as newborn infants, having been raised from spiritual death, having been given new life in Jesus Christ, having been born again by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And now as infants, they are to grow, they are to mature, they are to develop in their Christian faith. And so what, what Paul is saying, or what Peter is saying is, is that Christians are like newborn infants, and the totality of their lives has to have this newborn infant experience of craving pure spiritual milk, just as children as infants, root for their mother as soon as they are born with intensity, longing for spiritual or longing for physical milk, so ought Christians to long for the pure spiritual milk all the days of their lives. You never in this sense graduate from being a newborn infant. You must always have this longing, this craving for the pure spiritual milk. Well, what is that pure spiritual milk? Well, I think it's the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The letter speaks much of the grace of God. It talks about, for instance, in chapter 1, verse 2, in the greeting, Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In chapter 4, verse 10, Christians are to be good stewards of God's varied grace, And in chapter 5, verse 10, uh, Peter calls God the God of all grace. So it's grace that we ought to crave, grace that we ought to long for, grace that we should earnestly desire and drink in with our spiritual mouths. What kind of grace is that? Well, it's not the grace that brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. We have received that grace already when we were regenerated by the Spirit of God and when we claimed Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's not the grace that is coming to us, though Peter speaks about that in verse 13 of chapter 1 as he tells us to set our hopes on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus Christ is revealed at the last day. So it's not the grace that brings us into salvation that we're to crave, nor the grace that we are waiting for when Christ returns 
but it's grace for today. Grace to help us to grow in our understanding of the Word of God. Grace to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Grace to make us mature and develop as Christians, to be more loving to one another, more faithful to God, more desirous of His Word, more eager to obey Him, less self-centered, less grumbling, less complaining, less unfaithful to our God. We need grace, grace, Grace day in and day out so that we might grow up into our salvation, so that we might progress and mature and develop. We long to see our children pack on the pounds, begin walking, start to speak. And Peter says that's what we want for one another as Christians and for ourselves. We don't want to be stagnant and immature. We want to be growing up into our salvation. And in order for that to happen, we must have grace. And because grace is what we need, we must long for it. It's not an option. Peter doesn't say, uh, you know, if you want to develop in the Christian life, you, you might want to consider longing for more grace. No, he assumes that Christians want to grow and develop in the Christian life. That's what it means to be a newborn infant. That's what it means to have spiritual life implanted into you. You're not what you once were, but neither are you what you will once be, because there was, there's always within the believer a, a process of, of greater conformity to Jesus Christ. And Peter says you need to long for that grace. You need to crave it. It needs to be more important to you than anything else that this world has to offer. You should never be content with levels of holiness achieved, nor be content with grace received. You must always long for it, be greedy for it, plead for it, ask for it, and desire more grace so that you might grow up into salvation. Well, how do you do that? Babies don't need to be taught to crave their mother's milk. They do that naturally, instinctively incessantly even. But as they mature, sometimes they get distracted. And so mothers need to learn what distracts their children and feed them in a different way so that their children get the necessary ingredients and nutrition to mature and develop and to grow up. So what do we need to do in order to crave grace? What do we need to do in order to protect ourselves from distractions, from feeding ourselves with the things of this world that never really satisfy us and never really enable us to grow and mature and develop. Well, Peter gives us two things to consider. He kind of sandwiched, well, that wouldn't be appropriate. He kind of brackets the command to crave pure spiritual milk by these two things. In verse 1, he gives us one, and then he gives us another one in verse 3. In verse 1, he tells us that we are to rid ourselves of things, and then in verse 3, he tells us that we are to remember. Verse 1, we're to put off certain things, 
And then verse 3, we are to ponder. Well, what is it that we're to put off? Well, notice what he says there in chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We're to put off everything that is inconsistent with the Christian life, that is not in keeping with the obligations that God places upon His children. And he uses a clothing metaphor there. He says, put it off. Sometimes when you have a shirt that's a bit wrinkly and uh, you don't want people to see it, you don't take it off, you just wear a suit jacket that covers it up. Or you have a hole in your sock, you don't throw the sock away, you just put on shoes that covers it up. And Peter's saying, don't do that with sin. Don't cover it. Don't try to hide it. Rather, he says, put it away. Get rid of it. Take it off. Throw it out. And he hones in on particular sins of malice, which is evil thinking and wishing the worst for others. And deceit is lacking integrity and lying and hypocrisy, which is make-believing the Christian life, pretending to be something that you aren't, and envy, which is longing for other people's material things or gifts and wishing that you had them, and slandering, which is maligning the good character of, of your brother or sister. He says, put away all those things. And of course, he wouldn't want you to think that there are other sins that you can hold on to and, and keep intact. No, you must get rid of all sins, everything, you must put aside everything that displeases the Lord and that is inconsistent with the Christian testimony. Now, why is he so insistent on this? Well, there's three reasons why putting off sin is necessary in order for you to crave spiritual milk. First of all, sin suppresses spiritual appetite. You cannot simultaneously crave sin and crave grace. It's either the one or the other, because sin suppresses spiritual appetite. And the reason it suppresses spiritual appetite is because you think that sin is satisfying, that having a good reputation is all that you need, or pursuing pleasure and doing what you want to do, that that is satisfying. And you feel that you feel satisfied from these things, at least temporarily you feel satisfied. And you say, I don't need anything else. I'm completely happy the way I am. I don't need to crave anything else because I'm full of these things. Sin suppresses one's appetite. There was uh, in the 1900s, early 1900s, 1925, 1928, there was a, a campaign by Lucky Strike, which was an American tobacco company to, to uh, promote cigarette smoking among women. And so they would say, uh, reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. For a youthful figure, reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. Because they understood that smoking suppresses appetite. Well, that's what sin does. Sin suppresses your spiritual appetite. As long as you are engaged in these sins and other sins, you will never long for more grace from God. You will never crave the pure spiritual milk of His grace. So that's the first reason why Peter says, put away all malice and all deceit and crave 
grace. There's another reason, and that has to do not so much with our appetite, but with God's willingness to give us grace. You might remember the passage in Psalm 66 where the psalmist says, if I had regarded sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard. Or think about what James says, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so God is, God is not blind to your hearts. And so you can ask for grace, but as long as you're asking for grace while simultaneously wanting to hold on to sin, God sees that you have a forked tongue. He understands that you don't really want grace. You want your sin. You want to hold on to that. And you will not humble yourselves to confess your need before God because you proudly and arrogantly want to go your own way. And God says, I resist the proud. I'm not going to give my grace until you're humble, until you really long for it, crave for it, not just by what you say, but by the demonstration of your life. And as long as you hold on to sin and love sin and refuse to let it go, I know that you're asking without integrity, because you don't really want grace, because you know that grace will revolutionize your life and compel you to get rid of the sins that you cherish. And so sin suppresses your appetite. You won't have a longing for grace if you are living in sin. Sin keeps the blessing of God from you because God won't bless someone committed to sinning. And then there's another reason why it's so important to put away all sin in order that we might crave grace, and it's this. There is nothing more designed to enable you to long for grace than fighting sin. As long as your Christian life is mediocre, as long as you think you've arrived, that there are no higher standards that you need to meet that there's no goals that you need to reach, as long as you're content with the way you are spiritually, you will never need grace. But it's when you fight against sin, when you want to get rid of the coldness of your heart, your tendency to gossip, when you want to fight spiritual laziness and lethargy, as you fight that, you recognize the profound weakness of your lives and your desperate need for God to come and bless you and give you the strength and the power and the wherewithal to fight against sin and to offer the, your lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So it's in putting away all malice and all deceit, in attempting to do this, that you recognize your own poverty and you say, God, will you not give me more grace? because it's grace that I need so that I might live for your glory and praise. So that's on the one side. How do we crave grace? By putting away all sorts of sins because you cannot crave sin and crave grace at the same time. But then at the other end of the passage, Peter talks about the goodness of God. He says, 
putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So how do you crave grace? By putting off sin and by pondering the goodness of the Lord. This is a quote, of course, from Psalm 34, which we just sang, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who hope in Him will never be ashamed. And if you think about it, anyone here who knows the Lord knows that the Lord is immeasurably kind. He is indescribably gracious to you. You can just trace His goodness throughout your lives. Why, why were you born in the family that you were born in? Why were you born in a Christian nation? Why were you born in a Christian church? There are countless people throughout the world that have not had those blessings. God has been kind to you in His providence. And how kind has the Lord Jesus been to you? How patient, how long-suffering, how slow to anger, how tender-hearted He has been. I mean, just, just think of what you've done this morning to forfeit grace. Just think of the malice and the envy and the, and the uh, deceit that plagues our lives, and, and still He loves us. Or, or think about the cross where our Lord Jesus took upon Himself the sins of His people, those things that were thoroughly odious to them. He owned them as if he himself had been guilty of them. What kindness and what grace, what tender love and mercy we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you ponder the grace of God, I'm sure this is the way it is for you, the more you ponder how kind the Lord has been to you, the more you long to serve Him better, the more you long to put away those things that displease Him, the more it grieves you that you don't honor Him the way that He should be honored, that He doesn't have first place in your life that He ought to have. And you cry out, oh, for grace to love Him more. I think it was last Lord's Day that we sang this song, And one of the verses was this, weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest praise. So here's the the hymn writer lamenting that, that we don't serve the Lord Jesus like we should. We don't love him like we ought to. We don't worship him as we should. Weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest praise. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as we ought. Weak is the effort of my heart, and cold our warmest thought, that it is, but when we see thee as thou art, we'll praise thee as we ought. We know that heaven will, will clear everything up, that in heaven we will give worship to God in a way that he deserves to be worshiped. We won't be distracted by sin and by the things of this world. We won't have divided hearts. We'll be purely devoted to Him for all eternity. And that's what we want right now. That's what we want right now, that we would worship God as He deserves and love Christ as He is worthy of being loved.
And so we cry out, give us grace, O God. You see, it's in ridding ourselves of our sin and remembering the goodness of God. It's in putting off all sins and pondering the kindness of the Lord that will help us to crave the pure spiritual milk that will help us to crave grace. The one, because sin suppresses grace. If we could just put off sin that hinders the grace of God from flowing into our lives, how much more blessed would we be. And if we only pondered the grace of God more, studied his word, had spiritual conversations with brothers and sisters that exalted the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if we only pondered it more, how much more would we long for grace? So the one at the beginning suppresses craving, the other intensifies craving. And if we can rid ourselves of what suppresses and nurture what intensifies craving for grace, then we'll be able to fulfill this obligation that the Lord places upon us to be like newborn infants, longing, craving, desiring, can't get enough of the grace of God so that by it we may grow up into salvation. It's grace we need. I mentioned earlier John Newton's hymn, "'Tis Grace." that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Tis grace that brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. That's what we so desperately need, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And if we crave it, we will receive it. So what about you this morning? Do you crave grace? You say, no, not really. I'm quite content where I am. Well, are you born again? Have you been saved? Has God intervened in your life and changed your heart? Because if you are a newborn infant, if you have been saved by grace, you will crave. There's nothing you can do about it. That's just the, what grace does in you. It changes you so that you long for grace. Or maybe you're not craving grace because you become sidetracked in the Christian life. It happens all too easily. You become enamored with other things. You become bothered, distracted, so that you don't focus as you should on what God has done in Jesus Christ. Well, let me encourage you to put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let me remind you that the Lord is good and kind. And then let me urge you to crave grace. And if you find that you have no craving, or if your craving has been weakened, well, go to the Lord and ask Him for grace so that you might crave grace all the more. And our gracious and merciful God, who's so tender-hearted and compassionate towards us, who's so patient and long-suffering, He will not withhold from us any good thing. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we do confess that we are not where we ought to be. We confess that 
Weak is the effort of our hearts and cold our warmest thoughts. But when we see Thee as Thou art, we'll praise Thee as we ought. And we look forward to that day when we will give You undivided worship, thorough devotion, when our lives will be a complete sacrifice laid upon the altar of love for Your grace. But we want to do that now more and more. So work in us by Your Spirit that we would be done with lesser things, that we would have no other desires save to serve and honor You, and that it would be our longing for You to pour out upon us grace. We confess our need. We thank You that You have an infinite supply, and that our need will never outstrip Your supplies of grace. So give us grace, we pray, our most merciful God, and hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.